Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, doing another team preview to get you ready for the 2023 fantasy baseball season, doing the Toronto Blue Jays on this episode. A fun team, a very good uh, fantasy team, especially a couple years ago. If you stacked the Jays, you got paid. So it was a very, very good thing. A few moving parts this year, some guys out, some guys in, but it's still a very competitive team with a lot of fantasy relevance. So I have a special guest rejoining me on Bench with Bubba to break down the Blue Jays for me. You can find his work over at Sports Ethos, and he is the man, the myth behind the legend of the fantasy MLB today, coming at you like five days a week, doing a lot of it by himself, which from a guy that does a show by myself, not the most easy thing to do. So it's a lot of fun there. You can find him on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Joe, how are we doing, my friend? Bubba, it's great great to talk with you again, man. It's always a pleasure. We've done my pod. We've done your pod before. Uh, we went golfing together. We spent time in Arizona. It's, it's always a great time, man. I really appreciate you uh, picking my brain about what can – what can be either my favorite subject or my least favorite subject, depending on the day, the Toronto Blue Jays. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, most definitely. And before we get into it, aren't you like I kind of told them where they can find you, but let them know what you got going on and you know maybe what you got coming up. Yeah, so I'm at Sports Ethos. I'm the head of baseball over there. We are putting together our draft guide right now for the upcoming season. It should be out sometime, I'm going to say tentatively in the next month. I don't want to give precise dates because we're still working on that. Uh, it's going to have all your usual draft guide things, sleepers and busts and everything that you're usually going to see. We're going to try and differentiate ourselves wherever we can. Uh, but like you and I were talking about before we got going, uh, it's very hard to to make content that somebody else hasn't already done considering, you know, the the general the general way that content goes with rankings and projections and sleepers and previews like we're doing here. Uh, so we're going to do that. I'm doing team preview pods on my show as well, which are going to start coming out over the next week. Uh, like you mentioned, Fantasy MLB Today is the podcast. We go Monday through Friday, uh, between half an hour and an hour every day. Usually I'm solo, but bring on a guest uh, about once a week, generally about once a week, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. But yeah, that's pretty much what we got going on. Uh, the written stuff at sportsethos.com and the podcast, if you guys want to go and check it out, is wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I highly recommend that Joe's an awesome guy, little and a great analyst, and he's uh, booming onto the scenes here after basically his first full season of MLB action. So it's good to see him and uh, see where it's going to go from here. Lots of quality stuff indeed. Let's talk Toronto Blue Jays. And it's uh, it's fun because you kind of said it before the show. It's like It can be painful at times because, yeah, you know, 
they're a good team that hasn't quite got to that pinnacle yet that one would hopefully expect. But um, still, fantasy wise, lots of fun here, lots of fun. And let's just start with the man up top. You know, he goes first in most drafts when it comes to Blue Jays players. Sometimes Bichette goes ahead of him, but uh, Vladito, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And it was only a couple seasons ago where he let the world on fire and hit 48 bombs and hit 311 and had 123 runs, 111 RBIs, just everything you could think of. And last year he was still good, 274, 32, 90, and 97. He was still late back. So like, that's still good. Question is, is it first round good? That's the question there. But what's your thoughts on Vlad going into 2023? Because, like, we've seen this. I don't know if it's the ceiling. He might even be able to get 50 plus overs. Who knows? But we, we know he's a very, very good player. How do you look into Vlad for 2023? I love him. And obviously, you know, these have to be prefaced, I guess, every team preview, especially if you're talking to somebody who's a fan. There might be hints of biases, biases, I should say. But objectively, Vlad is just ridiculously good. You know, this was a quote-unquote down year. There were some people who drafted him very, very high up top five pick this past season. Uh, some people, depending on where you were, might have taken him first. Who knows? He went very high up, and he may have disappointed some people. But the thing is, like, 32 homers, 90 runs scored, 97 ribbies, uh, eight stolen bases, 275. That's If that's a disappointing season from him, then I think we're going to be pretty okay going forward i have no worry that he can get back to what we saw in 2021 there's you know some people have talked about how he was playing in minor league parks that year and you know he was playing in dunedin and buffalo and that's why he had such a great season i don't really buy into that <clears throat> we see that there are certain parks in major league baseball that are easier to hit in than others some are harder it's just the way that it gets broken down you know people playing in colorado or cincinnati are going to have a bit of an easier time of it than if you're playing in detroit or if you're playing in the coliseum in oakland there's already <clears throat> excuse me there's already going to be those those variances between ballparks so for me that's nothing to really look into. I know a lot of people were worried about, you know, that was the peak Vlad season. He was 22 years old. I have no doubt that he can get back to those same kind of numbers, 40, 45 home runs, you know, driving in well over 100, scoring over 100, and giving you a few stolen bases too, like we saw down the stretch with uh, with John Schneider. He stole a lot more. I think he stole all of his bases once Charlie Montoya was replaced yep. last season. So something that we could see. I don't expect double-digit stolen bases from him, but you know, when I did my first base rankings last week, he is number one for me. There's no reason uh, to move him off of that from a uh, fantasy point of view or from a real-life baseball point of view. I think number one first baseman in the game. So that answers my next question. So you have him ahead of Freddie Freeman because uh, they go 11 and 14th overall ADP right now, so they're right next to each other. And it's a conversation we've heard a lot. It's like, okay, Freddie probably gives you this, this consistent 300-plus hitter, which Vlad can do. Um, he's, he's just a five category guy, maybe more steals than Vlad, but Vlad maybe has more power. So it's kind of a pick your poison situation. So you got Vlad over, uh, Freddie. Yeah. They're one and two for me. Uh, no, no move off of ADP. Uh, I think my top five first baseman actually are just the way that ADP is broken down as a side note. There's no, there was no big moves for me there. Uh, there, it's close, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really fault you for taking Freddie. There's part of a worry, not that we're talking about Dodgers, but I just don't think that, we're going to see the same counting stats as we have in previous years from him. He's getting a little bit older. I don't think that lineup is quite as deep as we might expect it to be. Like, I don't think they're going to be the 115 win juggernaut that we've seen. So I'd give Vladdy the slight advantage over Freeman still. I like it. Uh, next up, we got Boba Shett, who is just a guy that I I love about uh, everything about him when he plays the game. He plays it hard. He plays it well. He's super talented. He's going right after Vlad, like a pick or two later, depending on what you're looking at. Uh, and last year, you know, he struggled early, but then finished really strong. 24 more home runs, hit 290. 
Uh, the county stats were down a bit from 2021, but I think they were for all the Jays if you really look at it because they were still good, but not that 2021 team was crazy. The biggest thing I see with Bichette is he went from 25 steals to 13. Now, when you're looking at Bichette for 2023, what are your expectations there? Do you think he kind of up, up, you know, the, the stolen bases come back up? He still hits for the power, or is there any other uh, thoughts on him? Yeah, I think there might be something to be said, like I, like I mentioned before, about John Schneider and what happened with him. Just Not necessarily in terms of just Vladimir Guerrero, but in terms of just his general output or his demeanor towards stolen bases and towards uh, that, that kind of baseball. Charlie Montoyo, and it's funny because when I was on here the first time, that was the day that Charlie Montoyo got fired, actually, yeah. uh, just thinking about that. But it's, I think, going to be something that we see affect everybody to a small degree positively to go along with the rule changes as well, because that'll be something that boosts stolen bases. I don't think it's going to have a crazy impact, but, you know, an extra couple here and there, uh, that'll be able to get that, thir- what did he have last year, 13? I, I think you're going to see closer to a 20 steal season from him. I don't think, I mean, maybe he gets back to like 25, but I wouldn't be expecting him to really jump too, too much higher. I think that... Yeah, probably 20 steals is what I would expect from him, honestly. So are you good with Bichette still kind of being uh, that kind of middle of the pack, like late first round, early second round, shortstop compared to some of the early ones that go or even some of the later ones that go right after him? You still you liking where Bichette's going these days? It's I think it's pretty reasonable. I think that, you know, shortstop is so deep. It's not a position where he's somebody where you you have to take him or else there's, there's going to be nobody else. It's, it's, it's completely the opposite. You know, he is going as the third shortstop off the board. But realistically, this year, you're looking at probably, you know, 16, 17 shortstops that you feel pretty comfortable plugging into your your shortstop one slot on your roster not just a middle infield slot so i mean i feel comfortable with him he's not somebody that is like a huge target of mine i think that if you you're end of the first round and you take him then that's a, that's a very solid draft pick but I, i'm i think it's fairly reasonable overall i don't feel too strongly about it one way or the other his price all right let's go to george springer uh this is always a, a fun one with george because we know the talent's there but Health has been a concern from time to time. Did play 133 games last year, which was much better than we've seen since the most he's played since 2018. So that was pretty strong. Hit for about his normal average of 267, power, some speed. Um, you know, when he's on the field, he's really good. He's projected to lead off for the Jays, which should be runs galore in that offense. Um, how are you looking at Springer this year? Because there is a concern with the health. There always is. But like I said, when he's out there, he's pretty darn good. He's getting older, too, George Springer. He's 33 years old. We know the way he plays the game is kind of, I don't, I don't want to say reckless, but you know he will throw his body out there to make the incredible play, which, I mean, as a fan of the team, you can't fault him for that. From a fantasy point of view, you're just thinking, you know, just let the ball get, go in the gap. It'll, it'll be a double. It'll be a whatever. Let it be a triple. Just don't you know land on your shoulder or hit your head on the wall or, or something, because that is something that he is prone to just based on the way he plays baseball. Now, his actual statistical output is still very, very solid. Uh, and like you said, he actually played 133 games last year, which even as a fan of the team really surprised me. You know, watching probably 150 of those games last year, I would have thought that he missed, I don't know, at least 50, 60 games. But he was out there. He produced. He stole 14 bases, which was the most he had stolen in seven years. And he's still giving you, you know, across the board five category value. It's just a matter of how much risk you want to take when you're drafting somebody like Springer. 
for me, it really depends on on your roster construction for fantasy. If you're, you know, wanting to take guys who are, you know, maybe your DeGroms and your Mike Trouts earlier on in draft who you're not really sure if you can trust or not, then maybe stay away from Springer. If you've taken a very solid, uh, you know, durable players earlier on in the draft, then maybe take a chance on Springer. And if he ends up missing 40, 50 games, it doesn't hurt you quite as much. But overall, I like George. I just, for me personally, I'm going to be a little bit scared to be drafting him where he's going, which is currently uh, round pick 85. I think it's fine, but I'm not jumping out of my seat to go and take him. Yeah, and right next to him at 85 is Starling Marte. Would you rather take a Marte or a George Springer? That's pretty close. I think I'd probably go Marte, but that's honestly a really good one. Uh, Coin flip, really, but I I think Marte. Because yeah, Marte's getting older, so there's questions in his own regards in the same situation. So it's kind of a interesting uh, dichotomy of uh, yeah. two options right there when you when you really want to break it all down. Uh, let's go to one of the newest acquisitions of the Toronto Blue Days. A guy that's near dear to my heart because I was all team Dalton Varsho last year, and it paid off in a big, big way. Now he's going to go to Toronto. He's going to primarily play left field. So you know, in the future, catcher eligibility is a problem. Still catcher eligible this year, though. So that's a big plus. Uh, you know, 27 homers, 16 steals last year. We knew he was a power speed guy. Hit 235, which was a bit of a bummer. Um, like when you look at the res ball player rater, though, he was still in, in like a top 20 outfielder. So people like say, oh, he's going to lose, you know, fantasy viability, blah, blah, blah. Not as much as you think. Um, you're paying an, a high ADP this year because of the catcher eligibility. But what's your thoughts on Varsho transitioning to Toronto out of Arizona? To me, it seems like a plus. But are you, what are your thoughts on him? I think it is a plus. You know, as much as I've talked up the Diamondbacks on my own show, I think that they're going to be a very solid team, even if it's maybe not this year isn't their year. You know, within a couple of seasons, they're going to be really doing something. Uh, Toronto is an upgrade, though, regardless. I just think that maybe the price has gone up a little bit more than I would have wanted it to. Now he's going as in the last 11 DCs since Christmas. He's going as the 35th pick overall. You know, there is something to be said about just securing that catcher slot early on. But, man, you're, we're paying a lot for somebody who's – and I know it's not the be-all and end-all, but that StatCast page, very blue across the board. We're talking about somebody who, you know, maybe he got a little bit lucky in terms of how many steals he got last season. I, he's projected to do similar things to what he did last year. But overall, I, I think that the price has become a little too handsome for me. I still expect him to be very good. But I don't know if I'm paying, you know, third, who knows, maybe it ends up in a couple of weeks being end of second round ADP for him. I think it's just a little too out of my range at this point. That's where it's getting for me, which is tough. Like I said, I was all team Varsho last year. It's almost like if I'm going to spend that much money, just take a jump and take Real Muto a little earlier in my mind because we know what we're getting there. I still love Varsho. I think it'd be very, very good. Um, it's just tough because you got Will Smith behind him. You got some other really, really good catchers. And it, what to me is a deeper catcher pool than usual. So it's uh, it's it's trickier in there because at that point you could be taking an SP one or you could be doing a lot of things in that range and taking Dalton Varsha, which still very good player. He will fit in a, in a roster build if you do it properly. There's no questioning that. It's just, um, yeah, where, where's it going to go? New new place. Uh, a lot a lot of questions still with Varsha for me. Um, let's talk about the catchers here. We'll start with the first one, the big boy, Alejandro Kirk. Um, he's a hitting machine. We know that doesn't strike out a ton. Hits for a really good average. I think the power is even more than we saw last year. It's just a matter of changing a few, you know, tweaks in his swing potentially. Um, but he did kind of stumble a bit in the second half, just a bit. Uh, what's your thoughts on Alejandro Kirk? I love him so much, just from a real life baseball point of view, and even from a fantasy point of view. There's just so much to love. He's such a feel good player. And he is just 
that good where he does warrant that kind of admiration. Like in terms of the projections, I'm just looking at the bat right now for next season. He's projected for the second highest WRC plus on the Blue Jays ahead of guys like Springer and Bichette and Varsho and Chapman and everybody else. Only guy who's ahead of him is Vladimir Guerrero. And he's just such an overall, I mean, he's not going to get you steals, but he's going to give you everything else. Every, every other category, he's going to take care of you. 20 homers. He's going to give you probably, 70 75 runs 70 75 rbis like i just overall he's one of those i think he really truly one of the only catchers who's likely or at least you know it's plausible where he could hit 300 for you so i had him higher than consensus probably in my own rankings i had him fourth and you know with brandon belt coming in we'll talk about him in a minute i'm sure kind of want to move him down a spot or two but i am i'm very bullish on alejandro kirk for this upcoming season yeah, there's like there's not a lot of bad things to say about Kirk. Uh, the belt thing we will get to because I have a lot of questions involving that. Um, but it's just like Kirk, we know how good he is. We know how good of a hitter he is. Being able to catch in DH was going to be primo. Again, talk about belt in a minute. Um, but it, it kind of coincides with Danny Jansen, the other catcher there who we were, you know, if you look at Danny Jansen, it's just been a health thing with him. He can't stay healthy because he's on the field. His hard hit is his, his quality of contact metrics, his hard hit rates, his barrel rates, you name it, are outstanding. Projections acknowledge that. They have him hitting for a ton of power, but at the same time, you know, like the bats got him for 123 games play. They got Kirk for 130. I don't know how it's going to to wash out in the end, all things considered. But we look at a guy like Danny Jansen. Are you interested in him in, uh, in a fantasy standpoint? Just like, what do you think about him? But is he going to be fantasy viable now this year? There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I really hope so. It's like you said, it's just a matter of how much he can actually be healthy. Cause I mean, the playing time is going to be one thing and it's, it's, it's annoying, man. Cause you know, seeing Gabriel Moreno get traded was tough because I really think he's going to be a, a great player, but at the same time in my head, it's like, okay, now there is clearly, there's no kind of competition or whatever. We know there's going to be Jansen and there's going to be Kirk. So when they're healthy and then that's it. And now, you know, Brandon belt obviously muddies that. And then there's the fact of he's, not really somebody we can rely on to stay healthy is games played over these last couple of years 72 70 you know 2020 you can't really can't hold that against them 43 games but 107 was the most he ever played there in his first kind of quote-unquote full season in 2019 if he can play more than 100 games then he's going to return probably positive value on that adp which is about 180 right now I just there are a lot of questions about how much we are actually going to see him. Is he actually going to play what he's projected? I mean, if he gets to what the bat projects 123 games, then we're talking a top five or seven catcher. But Mm -hmm. it's just really uh, a question of if he will. And I'm leaning towards he probably won't at this point. 
Yeah, that's my problem. Like before the belt acquisition, I was picking Jansen up as a catcher too and some, you know, NFBC 50s and whatnot, thinking, okay, I can live with that, you know, get some backups and, and make it work in those formats. I still like him a lot. I love the hit tool, but I have a lot of question marks about playing time with him, health with him, and that's just really, really stinks with Jansen. But I could see it if you're if you're waiting on catchers. I don't mind taking a chance on him in drafts, and then just be, be aware. And you're going to probably have to make some moves and mix and match, and then you're going to drop him, and someone else is going to get him. And when he's healthy again, it's going to hurt. That's just how it's going to go. But um, that's the Danny Jansen experience, as we've learned to to love and hate in recent years. Um, let's. I'm going to jump to Brandon Belt real quick since we talked about him a, a few times already. I love Brandon Belt. I have a lot of reasons to love Brandon Belt. Yeah, it's more of a personal thing. Like I think he's a great ball player. He's a great dude i got i have a picture uh with him at spring training when he was a rookie um just a really really cool guy i've always said get him in a ballpark that a left-hander doesn't get sucked up by that triples alley like let him i've always thought he was a 30 plus home run guy on the reg if if he had the chance um now he gets the chance and he's going to toronto and this is where it gets muddy because we all assumed kirk and jansen would basically catch dh and make it work now you get belt there who all reports out of toronto early and you can totally correct me if i'm wrong but what i heard was Primary DH, spell time for Vlad. Belt said he was only signing somewhere where he could play pretty much every day. So that's where it's really weird for me. What's your thoughts on Brandon Belt now, uh, fantasy-wise, and how it impacts the Jays? I think that that's probably correct. I mean, Roster Resource has him slotted in here as the primary DH. And, you know, I think that that's likely going to be the case. Maybe we see some kind of lefty-righty. Uh, splits going on between him and you know whoever is DH between Kirk and Jansen on a given day. He'll play first here and there for Vlad, but at the end of the day, Vlad's missed, I think, three games these last two seasons. He is, knock on wood, very durable, and he's somebody who is not going to sit unless he is physically removed from the field. That's just who Guerrero is. He he hates to sit. He he won't do it. I don't I don't think he'll he he'll, he won't cooperate. There was actually a game I don't remember if it was last year or the year before where he sat and they actually physically had to tape him in the dugout. So <laughs> will will belt start at first once or twice, maybe a, a, as many as five times. Yeah, it's it's totally possible. And maybe even five ten times considering Vlad might DH. But it's it's a very muddy water uh, situation over there in terms of the DH at bats for the Blue Jays. I would expect that Belt probably gets the majority of them, at least, you know, 60% probably, and then 40% goes to those two catchers, whichever one of them is not playing. And I think it's going to affect Danny Jansen the most, to be honest, because I think that Kirk is overall the guy that they want to go with. At first, it was Danny Jansen was the more, you know, uh, sound guy behind the plate but now the guys actually like throwing to kirk as well so i think jansen is going to be impacted the most i think belt will have a close to close to full-time job i think probably 120 games is what you can expect i'm not even sure what they have him down for yeah, from less projections 100 yeah, less than belt, 100 yeah something like 97 games 97 which, which is a little low but the caveat i'll give is he has had trouble with health as well like big time yeah. health issues that the knee's an issue but that's where i think dh you know probably do wonders for him so it's it's interesting it's, it's it's a muddy muddy water but it could be one of those in the end we look back at this and we go look at kirk played 130 jansen played 110 belt played 115 or something it could be something just simple as that because um belt can hit lefties that he can but in reality when the lefties on the mound you could probably see jansen or kirk dh and the other one catching that's an option like so there there are there are feasible paths to the three of them making this work just not working in a way that we see like full-time playing time situation. Yeah, Sorry. it's uh, it's going to 
possible well, i mean it'll nerf all of them to some degree for fantasy probably but we'll have to see how it plays out because at this point uh, any anything could happen still the jays probably aren't fully done making moves yet so who, who knows what'll happen and belts uh got adp around 495 as high as like 368 over the last 11 drafts so uh you know there's a lot of a lot of value to it still to be had in those deeper formats and uh, you can make it work yeah. uh let's go back to the hot corner now i got matt chapman who um, we all know one of the best defensive third basemen you'll find out there, so that'll keep his bat in the lineup. That's a overused term, but it's the facts. It's what he does, and he's got a ton of pop. It's just a matter of can he hit for enough average to keep <laughs> keep the pop coming, and it's pretty much, you know, it's, you're a 220-230 hitter for the most part with a whole lot of power, though. So what are your thoughts on Matt Chapman? Is he can be one of those later third basemen if you kind of miss on the uh, quote-unquote elite tier of third baseman. He can fall back to you and still be kind of formidable. Yeah, the projections seem to really like him this year, not in terms of batting average, but everywhere else, uh, you know, he's going to probably give you 30-ish home runs. Uh, you know, he's projected for 31 on the bat, 32 on the bat X. Steamer only 26, but he's, you know, he's going to have, you know, according to these projections, 80 to 90 RBIs and runs. Yeah, he's going to steal you a couple bases probably, and then the batting average is going to be where he suffers a little bit. But if you're, like you said, if you're waiting on third base a little bit, and you don't want to get one of those very high-priced guys, you know, your Ramirez, your Bobby Witt, or whatever, you're getting Matt Chapman around pick 160. It's it's a good bargain. In the middle of that lineup, he's probably going to bat fifth or sixth. I mean, it, the lineup is another one that's kind of hard to predict where they're going to be in the middle there. If it's going to be Varsho 4 or Kirk 4, I'm really not sure what they're going to do. But there's going to be plenty of RBI opportunities for Chapman. If he did touch 100, it wouldn't shock me. So he's somebody that I think is, like you said, a very good call to target you know, if you did miss out on one of the top tier third basemen. Yeah, he's a guy that like early, early draft season, I kind of was kind of not even paying attention to him. Like, oh, he's going to kill me and this, that, and the other. But the more I've dug into things, you realize, you know, he plays over 150 games pretty much perennially. Like, he's going to be out there. He's going to accumulate stats just by doing that. Gives him obviously more chances to hit home runs. You're not drafting him for average, but at the same time, I keep telling myself, league average dropped like 235 last year or something, something crazy. So now his average isn't crushing you like it once did. Like, it's not great, but if you drafted accordingly in the earlier rounds of those five category guys, Chapman's not crushing you at all. So it's very interesting to find that kind of pop later in drafts. The last bat I have highlighted here is Whit Merrifield. And years ago, a couple of years ago, I was a big team Whit guy. Like, he's, I thought, you know, late first round, second round viable in all formats. And he kind of was, the way he could steal 40 bags, hit you maybe 10 to 15 homers, and do his thing. Well, things have kind of fallen off in recent years. He got traded, got platooned. Right now, he's position to be the starting second baseman for the Jays that's what it's looking like for now we'll see so they might make more moves how are you looking at a guy like Whit Merrifield who now we can get post ADP 200 which is a bit more entertaining for double digit power and speed in, in terms of the more moves thing real quick like I'm not necessarily expecting it but it wouldn't shock me I heard something today that said that they were apparently kicking tires on Xander Bogarts before he ended up going to San Diego. So it just makes me feel like maybe they're not done spending money, which at that point, why wouldn't you just give a little bit of money to Teoscar Hernandez? I don't know. But I think that there's a chance that they could still potentially do something. Now with Whit Merrifield, the price is definitely more interesting than what we've seen in recent years. 202 is the ADP over these last 11 drafts. Minimum of 164, max of 226. Anywhere in that range, there is the potential for, for a lot of value. Now, you do have to worry. He's getting older now. He is going to be 34 years old uh, in a week. So, yeah, he's going to be 
you know, he's already shown a decline in the speed. Now, part of that maybe was the, you know, coming to Toronto. I, I don't know. I don't think that that had a huge impact on it, really. I think that it's just the fact that he is getting older. Uh, he's he's still fine, I think. And the fact that, you know, he does play a terrible fantasy position in second base might lead me to to want to be drafting him. I'm not sure where Toronto's going to have him in the lineup. I think there might be days where they'll mess around and maybe have him at the top. But I think for the most part, he'll be... Somewhere at the bottom of the lineup, but but regardless, I think that he is going to be a pretty strong target. I think that the entire Blue Jays lineup, really, if you can get a, a piece of the Blue Jays lineup in your league, like let's say you just play one fantasy league, you're not like us degenerates who play 5, 10, 20 leagues, whatever it is, I would try and get at least one Blue Jay bat in there, one of those top seven batters, because there is the potential for a lot of counting stats this coming season, like there is every year with that lineup. Yeah, no doubt about it. Don't disagree with that at all. Uh, before we head to the pitching, were there any other bats that really stand out to you? Because it wasn't a ton for me, but maybe there's something I'm missing in Toronto. No, I think we I think we covered the bases. You know, I don't think that Kevin Kiermeyer deserves our time no. in terms of the bats <laughs> to talk about. Uh, I I don't really think that there's anybody on the bench. I mean, I really like Santiago Espinal, but uh, he's not much more than a late round flyer at this point. Kevin Biggio, I, I really had high hopes when he first came up, but at this point, it's. You know, if his name was Kevin Smith, I feel like he'd be riding the bus. It's just a matter yep. of that that major league pedigree. So I, I don't think that there's anything else to really go over in terms of the bats. All right, let's go to the mound then. And you guys got this is where it gets fun this year is that 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 rotation gets deeper and deeper each season right now. And it starts with the big man himself, Alec Manoa. And obviously it could start with someone else. We'll get to him. It's almost like a one A, one B in Toronto. I could see both sides, but we'll start with Alec Manoa here. And I have to I have to admit. I didn't think his year was as good as it was until I kept digging in this offseason. Like, I knew he was good, but it seemed like it was just kind of quiet and ho-hum, and he did this and that. And Dude almost threw 200 innings. He um, you know, only had 23% K rate. I think that's why it's kind of ho-hum for me. I expected more strikeouts from Manoa, but he gets you the innings. He gets you the wins. He um, His ratios are great. I was doing some quality start work. He is a quality start machine if you're in those kind of formats, like those points formats. I had to give uh, Manoa a bump. I'm a big fan of what we're seeing there. So so what's your thoughts on Alec Manoa? I love Alec Manoa. And all that I ever see is people talking about how he's overperformed and he's going to come back to earth. And, you know, the, the advanced metrics aren't really in his favor. And there's just something that they don't capture with Alec Manoa. There is something there. And I think it's probably like you were, like you alluded to there because the strikeout rate, you know, 23%. Those advanced metrics, FIP and XFIP, they they tend to penalize you a little bit if your strikeout rate isn't through the roof. That being said, I I think that he is probably not a 225 ERA guy going forward, but the projections have him close to like a four ERA, which is I think just just absurd. Crazy. You know, he's just there. There is something there is something intangible there with him that he just knows how to get outs. He is something like if he gives up two runs in the first inning you know that that is it for him. You know that he's not going to get blown up and give up five, six, seven runs. It's just not what he does. Now, will he eventually do that and have starts like that in his career for sure? But he's special. He is really, truly special, and I think that he is worth taking, especially if people keep slandering him and getting the price drop. Now he's in the 70s. He was going in the 60s. Yeah. Let's you know keep, keep, keep slandering the guy. Let's get that price down into the 80s because I'm going to have a ton of shares if it does. Yeah, the ADP is pretty wild, and like – I said I moved him up. I still don't have him as high as the next guy we'll talk about, but uh, I think it's more of a strikeout thing, and that's kind of how I approach fantasy-wise. But when it comes to the pitcher he is and what he can bring to your rotation on a fantasy team, he's a stud, especially at an ADP around 70. That's a very good SP2. 
unless you're super aggressive. It could be an SP3 even, depending on how you draft. That's uh, that's elite type stuff that he's going to bring to the table for you. The guy I was mentioning, though, is one Kevin Gossman. And uh, a few years back, I was very hesitant on him, watching with the Giants. I loved what I saw, still kind of hesitant. Goes to Toronto and just completely dominates yet again. The ratios were fine. The strikeout rates were elite. Um, just the overall lack of walks were elite. The dude is just really, really good. He's in my top 10 SPs going into the year. He should be. He's in most. He's talked about all over Twitter. But uh, what's your th- thoughts on Kevin Gossman? Because there's part of me, I got a small part of me, he's like, eventually that regression's coming. It's coming for him because such a heavy splitter usage, but guy looks darn good. Yeah, the thing is, like, if you look based on ADP, and uh, you can't sort by uh, relief pitchers and starting pitchers based on uh, the NFBC site, unless there is a way to that I haven't figured out yet. But there's not, unfortunately. I don't think there is. But he's the 23rd pitcher going off the board, and I think there's five, seven relievers ahead of him there. So he's generally kind of undervalued. I agree with you. I was a huge Kevin Gosman fan last year, and he was actually better than what he gave us, like a 335 ERA. You know, the FIP was 238, the XFIP was 275, and his Sierra was 294. You know, he had one of the highest BABIPs of all time. I forget who tweeted it out. I, maybe it was Todd Zola. I, I can't remember who it was now. Talking about how, like, the highest BABIPs ever, well, most of them came back in the 1800s, and then you got Kevin Gosman there at 363. Like, he really got screwed last year. He should have, you know, he could have potentially been a Cy Young candidate if he had... You know, just a league average BABIP, he could have been like one of those elite guys. And he was elite still, regardless of it. But there's the potential for a lot more, a lot better from Kevin Gosman. I agree. I haven't put out my starting pitcher rankings, but he will be in my top 10. He is just fantastic. I love him. Can't say enough about him. Yep. He's very, very, very good. So it's tough. And like you said, that where his ADP is going around some of those guys, it's like, I like those guys, but what Gospin can do is excite young level stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, I was doing some underdog work as well in points formats and he's getting no respect there either. His ADP is crazy there. It's just, he, he's a, he's a gym. He's an absolute gym right now. Um, next up, this one's interesting to me is Jose Barrios. Um, we know who he is. We know who he has been in his career. Last year was a microcosm of that. That's the nicest way I could say it. It was a really weird. His home road splits were a little more eye-opening to the situation, but all in all, the season was very bad. Bright side, still threw a ton of innings because that's what Jose Barrios does. And that's where, like, doing my quality start work, it made me want to look at him some more because he still had, I think, 17 quality starts last year, which was, like, top, you know, you know, 15 in baseball. He's had 17 back-to-back years. So he goes deep into games. And the fact he had 17 quality starts, that means out of the, um, let's see here, 32 starts he made, he didn't get shelled as often as it feels like he did. Like, he, it was bad, it was bad, but he had those moments of like, okay, there he is. This is the guy we know. Strikeouts are always an issue with him. But there was moments of really good. What's your thoughts on 2023, Jose Burrios? Are we, like, buying back in? Because you're getting him at a heck of a discount right now. I'll say that much. We look at his ADP. It's two, almost 250. So you're getting a big time discount. Is it worth it though? I personally think it is. I know a lot of people in the industry don't. A lot of people are out. Uh, Nick Pollock said at first pitch Arizona that he's just out at this point. Like he, maybe he's changed. What's he know about pitching? What's he know about pitching? I, I think I uh, he looks at it every now and again. He's uh, <laughs> no, Nick, I, maybe he's changed. I shouldn't put words in his mouth at this point because it's been two months and things change. You see a piece of footage, you see something else. Maybe he has a different opinion. Um, but at that point he was saying he's kind of out on him earlier in the year. He was still kind of in on him and I was too. And I think I still am going forward. Like, you know, 
there's a lot to like still in his good starts. He still looked very good. It's just like you said, when he was bad, he got he got murdered. And especially on the road, he had a 636 ERA on the road. It was 424 at home, which is still not great. But there was a couple like there was multiple games where we're talking eight earned runs, six earned runs, five earned runs like he's just very very hard to really nail down but at the same time he's definitely not 523 era bad if somebody you know if this is his first or second year and he did this whatever he has a track record of five seven years now doing you know roughly a four era kind of pitcher uh you know even a little bit better most years now the career era has been inflated a little bit but in general he's like a three seven five kind of era guy giving you about league average strikeout and walk numbers. He's somebody that you should still consider this season, especially considering where the price is. He's just, you know, no one's really going to be that interested in him. If you're in, you know, we're looking at NFBC drafts a lot right now because that's kind of all that you can for ADP. But once Yahoo and ESPN start opening up their their boards, their drafts, you know, for 10, 12 team leagues, Barrios is going to be a guy you can probably get with one of your last two draft picks yep. or so. And, you know, at that point, he's likely, if he has, you know, couple of good starts he'll stay on your roster for most of the season regardless so i think you know there is still a chance that he has a bad season again but i doubt it'll be as bad as what we just witnessed this past year i hope it can't be no that's kind of where i'm at i'm like i don't think we'll see that guy that was like the ace of the twins anytime soon but i definitely think he's not this guy either it's kind of like i tell myself that with lucas giolito too but um i still have i have much higher hopes in giolito than i do burritos but it's just like some of these guys to take a fall that fast, that dramatic, just doesn't doesn't feel right when you look at the overall landscape of what they actually did. So, gonna have to wait and see on Barrios, and, and I'm I'm willing to take a chance in certain formats for sure to see how that plays out. One of the newest acquisitions to the Toronto rotation is Chris Bassett, and I love this guy. He's a bulldog. He pitches his innings. He's just a workhorse that gives you really good ratios, throws in some strikeouts. It's a theme for this Toronto rotation: guys that get innings to give it over to this really good bullpen you guys have. So um, Bassett, you know, I, I'm a fan of this move. I don't have a ton to say, but what do you have on Chris Bassett? I really like Chris Bassett. He's just very dependable over these last couple of seasons, really going back to like 2018 every year. He's been very, very dependable. Now his actual numbers are tend to overperform uh, the expected stats, the FIP and the XFIP and whatnot. But like we talked about with Manoa, it's because he's not a huge strikeout guy. He's just a dependable innings eater who's going to still give you sol- like solid ratios. The strikeouts aren't bad by any means. They're just average. And he's going to probably win, you know, similar number of games like we saw last year, somewhere between 12 and 15 games, considering how Toronto is expected to be this year, a 90, 95 win team. Uh, I-, I could very easily see Bassett returning positive value based on where he's being drafted right now he's not that expensive he's going in a range where i think that it makes a lot of sense 153 i think at that point it really doesn't hurt to take a shot in your 10th 11th round on him yep 100 with you he's one of my favorite like middle of the middle of the draft guys to build that rotation depth of the guys that aren't going to crush you or other guys in that range have the tendency to do so uh the last guy that's technically in your rotation but i don't know if he's fantasy viable because he once was but last year was just disaster and if you look at it, though his numbers are actually pretty similar to previous years even though we had high expectations in toronto is you say kikuchi still off the board for you or is there reasons to have hope oh man i really don't want to to take him anywhere like certainly if we're talking a shallow draft if you're talking about like like i mentioned a 10 or a 12 team league then there's no need to be worrying about you say kikuchi like his adp is at 550 
you know, in the, your standard 12 team draft, I think you'd take roughly 300 players. He's not somebody that I'd be interested in. If you're in a deeper, you know, you're in a DC or something, I don't think it hurts at that point of the draft. You're talking 30 rounds in or whatever it is, 25, 30 rounds in. He's got that crazy strikeout upside where if he does find it, you know, maybe he gets that walk rate even back down to what it was in 2021, 9% then I mean, he could have some value as a guy who's like, you know, 26, 27 strikeout percent, you know, call it 10% walk rate. Assuming he gets there. Uh, there's definitely a lot of risk. He might not even be in the rotation, but I think they give him a chance. And, uh, you know, he's somebody where we could see decent value just because of how low he is being drafted. If people were still taking him, you know, I forget where he was going last year, three, 400 range, then I wouldn't be interested. But, you know, considering the fact that it's 550, if you're in a DC, I'm I'm not so opposed to taking a shot on him. All right, let's head to the bullpen here. Jordan Romano, one of the best closers in baseball last year, um, looks to be the dude for now in Toronto. There's like rumors they kept wanting to trade for like um, Liam Hendricks and other closers potentially to really spice things up. But you know, 36 saves after getting 23 in 2021. Ratios are great. Strikeouts are there. Down a bit from the year before, but overall, still a very very good closer. Any uh, thoughts on Romano? Is he still one of the elite options for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think he is. He's proven that he's an elite bullpen arm in baseball. And there was some list. I forget if it was Major League Baseball or somebody put out a top ten relievers list that did not even include uh, Jordan Romano. I thought it was pretty disrespectful. And you know that happens sometimes here in Toronto. We get forgotten about sometimes. And maybe that's why you see guys. Just as a side note, Manoa and Gosman going a little bit lower than they maybe should. Maybe it's probably nothing. It's probably just our our little man syndrome here in, in Toronto, but uh, in Canada in general, really. But Jordan Romano, he is still one of the absolute best guys you can take he's somebody you don't have to spend a second or third round pick on him well i guess end of third he's going 43rd overall um but he's he's going to return solid value he's a four category potentially five category he can give you a couple of wins i mean i wouldn't bank on that necessarily but he's he's gonna do it all for you he's gonna cost probably a little bit less than he should he's going after guys like class a and diaz and i think he can give you you know exactly kind of the same value that those guys have diaz had an amazing year but wouldn't shock me at all if Romano outperforms him this coming season. I love it. Love it. Um, you know, you guys traded for Eric Swanson. You've kind of bolstered that bullpen. Is there anybody else to keep an eye on, maybe speculate late in drafts or uh, just have ready just in case something does happen to Romano? There is a name, and I don't really expect it to pan out, but I think Nate Pearson potentially could Ooh, be somebody. I love that goal. Love that I, goal. I really, really want this guy to work out. I've followed him since he was, I don't know how I five six years now watching this guy hoping for the best and it really has just not gone well for him with the injuries when he's come up he's gotten shelled he's not going to be a starter we know that but i think at the end of a draft you know he's going very late nate pearson uh, he's going uh where is he actually not as late as i thought 572 maybe some other people might have the same kind of thought in their head that if something did potentially happen to romano you know they got uh, they got Yemi Garcia, they got Swanson, but uh, and maybe even Bass. But I think that there's a chance that Pearson could be groomed as a closer of the future. And if something were to happen to Romano, or he's not as good as we might think, that maybe uh, Pearson could slide into that role potentially. I like the Pearson call. I, I, I grabbed him in a couple of my NFC 50s early on, just because I'm with you. It's one of those elite guy or at least pro, elite prospect expected to be this ace starter. Doesn't really have it, so maybe better off being a back-end bullpen guy and do it for an inning or two. He, he has that kind of repertoire still, so I'm intrigued with you on that one. 
before we head out of here, let's talk prospects, if there are any of relevance for Toronto that you could see making a fantasy impact this year. Some teams don't have them. They just don't. Uh, Toronto may. I don't know. Do just Is there anybody we might be able to speculate, speculate on or keep an eye on for the 2023 season? I got to preface it by saying I'm definitely not your prospect expert. You guys got to go to Eric Cross, Chris Clegg, the Welsh, James Anderson. Those guys know what they're talking about. For me, following the team, uh, there's not really anybody that I would expect to have a ton of relevance this coming season. I think Addison Barger and Aurelvis Martinez may be in the second half. Barger probably more so than Martinez. But I don't think that if you're in a shallow league, you know, uh, you're, you're in a home league or something, I wouldn't really worry about them. They might be guys where you pick them up, you know, around the all-star break. If you have one of those NA slots where you can add minor leaguers to your team, maybe at that point. But as of right now, if you want to take a late stab on a Barger, Barger's going to pick 664. Aurelvis Martinez is not even being drafted. So, I mean... If you want to take a really late, like, you know, last pick of your DC on Martinez and, you know, maybe a little bit earlier on Barger, then, then maybe. But if, if they didn't come up till September, it wouldn't shock me either. They're pretty taken care of in the infield, specifically on the left side. Those guys are both, you know, the five, six, and we got Bichette and Chapman there. So maybe they, they move around some guys. Maybe there's some injuries. But as of right now, I think we're looking ahead to 2024 with, uh, with Tiedemann for the next, like, huge Blue Jays prospect to come on the scene and make a, an impact. I guess it's fair since you guys had a bunch of prospects come on recently and do yeah. just fine. You get a little breather in that regard. Like you look at the roster resource page, most of these guys are like in their 24 to 26 season. Like yeah. you guys, you guys are good for a little while here, it looks like. Um, but with that, Joe, I think we'll we'll wrap it up. Cover the Jays pretty in depth here. Uh before we sign off, as usual, plug away all your good stuff again. Well, I want to thank you for having me on. It's always great talk with you. We're going to do this again in the next couple of weeks or maybe in the next couple of months on my show. We're going to talk some San Francisco Giants. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. We are going to be doing a draft guide at Sports Ethos. It's going to be coming out probably in a month. I'm going to say it'll be out before March. For 100%, it'll be out in the month of February. Um, if not some stuff, maybe at the end of January, but we're going to be doing all the stuff that you usually see. We're going to do sleepers, bust. Uh, we're going to do staff rankings. We're going to do mock drafts. Uh, we're going to try and make it as comprehensive as possible. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Joe Orico 99, just my name with 99 on the end of it. And our account where all of our content will be posted on Twitter is ethos fantasy BB. So go and follow over there. That's where all the podcasts and article links and everything is posted from, uh, over on Twitter. Well, awesome, everybody. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at JoeArico99 and listen to his show and all the great stuff he writes as well. It's it's awesome stuff watching you grow in this uh, community through your first full, full season and uh, looking forward to what's to come. But thanks for joining me, my friend. It's been a pleasure, man. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Will do. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, your Toronto Blue Jays season preview. Catch you guys next time.
one way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100 that's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100 prizepicks daily fantasy sports made easy